Hi, I'm your host, Kimberly Thomas-Tigg, and you're listening to Signalize, a Dazzle for Rare podcast. Whether you're a patient, advocate, caregiver, or a clinician, Signalize is your source for good news, personal stories, events, and the things that rare and associated communities care about. Follow Signalize and Dazzle for Rare at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, R-A-R-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll post episode links, updates, and more. Strap in a grab a cuppa and let's jump in to awareness months and days. For awareness days, I'm a bit under the gun because everything going on with Dazzle Frere in August, it was just a lot. It was wonderful. It was great. Thank you so much to everyone who participated and to all our co-hosts. I did, however, miss out some dates in August. So we will have just passed the 25th of August, which happens to be International Ataxia Awareness Day. This is on the Dazzle for Our Awareness Dates calendar, and we've posted about it on social media for the day of the 25th, but we're sad to have missed it out here on the podcast. However, I did chat with Alan from Ataxia and me in Wales, and he wanted me to share with you the following message. So from Alan, having a rare disease myself, I set up a patient charity to share the word about Ataxia. Although our focus is Ataxia, we also like to share information about other rare diseases in our work. We discovered Dazzle Frere a week when rare disease charities and nonprofits come together via social media and share each other's information. This way, we're all amplifying the rare disease voice. Many of us have very limited resources, and this is a way for us to be stronger together. Each of us can learn about each other while we all dazzle for rare, advocate, or signpost to the most helpful people in our communities to help and to promote other awareness days. You can learn more about Alan and Ataxia and me, of course, via their website and social media. You can go to ataxia-and-me.org or ataxia underscore and underscore me on social media platforms. Thanks to Alan Thomas for the continued support and for sharing this with us and still no relation. So here are the awareness months that we missed in August and those coming up in September. All of these dates are on the Awareness Days calendar, which you can access via dazzleforrare.net. There are also instructions on how to add this calendar to your Outlook, Google Calendar, or other calendar app so you can keep up with our global community and help folks who, perhaps like you, need to reach out to more people and who have common struggles that overlap with your community, condition group, or specialty. IA Awareness Month, or International Autoinflammatory Awareness Month, has taken place all throughout August and does so annually. According to autoinflammatorymonth.org, since 2015, August has been internationally recognized as Auto-Inflammatory Awareness Month. We welcome all to join us in raising awareness during this month or when they can to help promote improved care, research, and treatments for these rare diseases. You can visit autoinflammatorymonth.org for more information. Also part of Awareness in August has been SMA Awareness Month, which is known as Spinal Muscular Atrophy Awareness Month. And SMA month focuses on raising awareness about spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, a progressive neurodegenerative disease affecting motor nerve cells in the spinal cord. SMA Awareness Month aims to spotlight the needs, experiences, and hopes of the SMA community. The month offers various ways to participate, including advocating, fundraising, educating, and spreading awareness about SMA. Cure SMA, the organization behind this initiative, funds research, care centers, and support programs for those with SMA. Activities include sharing on social media, participating in events like walk and roll, 
and donating to SMA research. So let's have some conversation around SMA understanding and take some action to help support the SMA community in the rest of August. There's very little left of by the time you hear this, but we can always continue into September and year round. Next, we have Craniofacial Acceptance Month, which takes place in the state of Michigan in the United States. It's very local. Children's Craniofacial Association has designated September as Craniofacial Acceptance Month, and this was further proclaimed by Governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, in 2022. Regardless of where you are, you too can support. According to FireflyFriends.com, approximately 600,000 people in the U.S. live with craniofacial condition or a facial difference. This is a great time to help boost awareness of craniofacial differences and show that though we may all be living with different conditions and affected in different ways, we're all unique individuals who are deserving of acceptance and respect in the greater non-rare world as much as we are in the rare disease world. Everyone could use a bit of support now and then, and folks with facial differences are no different. September also marks International Hypothalamic Hamartoma Awareness Month. A very good friend and host of the Epilepsy Sparks Insights podcast, Tori Robinson, has some information about IHHA on the Epilepsy Sparks blog, which we'll link to in the show notes. In short, Tori says HH can cause many types of seizures and other symptoms. However, its hallmark seizure type is galactic seizures, sudden episodes of uncontrolled, often mirthless laughter. Diagnosing the initial seizures can be hard since symptoms are usually missed or not considered seizures at first. Pediatricians may dismiss parental reports that may in fact be seizure activity as rather describing developmental or autistic style behaviors. If an EEG is ordered, the results can be misleading, often appearing normal or showing minor changes or nonspecific abnormal findings in children. This can lead the clinician to mistakenly rule out seizures. As many rare conditions, HH isn't a straightforward diagnosis, but there are ways to reach a diagnostic conclusion, and you can find out more in the linked blog post on Tori's website. Leukodystrophy Awareness Month and Light It Up Blue. It's time to light it up blue again for leukodystrophies in September. According to our friends and past Dazzle for Rare co-hosts, Alex TLC Support, September is Leukodystrophy Awareness Month. A leukodystrophy is a type of disease that causes degeneration of the myelin, or the white matter of the brain. Every individual requires healthy production of myelin for speed and accuracy of nerve impulses within the brain. If you, good listener, have a building that you could light up blue for the evening on behalf of leukodystrophy awareness, you can email our friends at info at alextlc.org, and they'll happily reach out to yourself or the building owner. Also, we have National Immune Thrombocytopenic Purpura, ITP, Awareness Month. All over the world, folks are struggling with Immune Thrombocytopenic Purpura, or ITP, and this is an autoimmune condition. Back in 2010, the Platelet Disorder Support Association spearheaded support and awareness for ITP. If you'd like to learn more about ITP, you can do so at pdsa.org. We'll drop a link to ITP-specific information in the show notes. September is Newborn Screening Month. This month and the topic is near and dear to many of us who have a familial history or other reasons to suspect that our children may be affected by congenital condition or a genetic condition. Early detection is, of course, critical to many rare conditions that affect infants. It's always a good time to talk about improving newborn screening initiatives and how important detection, identification, and treatment can be to a family and a newborn baby. 
You can hear more about this topic in my chat with Dr. Nicholas Garnier, the consortium lead for Screen for Care. Check the show notes for the link. Okay, folks, we've got three more awareness months for September. We have Pulmonary Fibrosis Awareness Month. According to Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation, each September, join those who have been impacted by pulmonary fibrosis worldwide to unite for Pulmonary Fibrosis Month, PFAN. The post that I was able to find from pulmonaryfibrosis.org mentioned that the theme is Embrace Your Breath, but I didn't see on the blog post if it was dated for 2023 or if it was past. Whatever the theme is this year, you can use the hashtags hashtag PF month and blue up for PF to connect with posts about PF in September. We have STXB1P encephalopathy highlighted in September as well. This condition is a rare neurodevelopmental condition and the cause of a genetic epilepsy. According to STPXBP1 Foundation, The fifth most common diagnosis in patients referred for genetic testing for epilepsy is STXBP1. You can learn more about STXBP1 awareness on the website, which strangely has that in the name, stxbp1disorders.org. That is a mouthful. Finally, we have Thyroid Cancer Awareness Month. It's probably one of those things you think can't possibly be rare because for the most part, most of us have a thyroid gland unless your thyroid has been removed or has been disabled by radiotherapy. You probably do have a thyroid gland and these little glands in the middle of the throat have a huge effect on our day-to-day lives, whether we realize it or not. They can also occasionally become cancerous and the signs are important to know. According to NHS Connect, the most common symptom of cancer of the thyroid is a painless lump or swelling that develops in the neck. Now, goiter or swelling in the thyroid gland can be very common. Any swelling in the neck where the thyroid is located should be checked by your GP, though. Because goiter or swelling of the thyroid gland can also be caused by iodine deficiency or autoimmune disease, it's important to report changes in swelling changes in bowel habits, mood, fatigue, and other symptoms to your GP or family doctor. It's important to know when to look for help, so check out NHS Inform for information on the types of thyroid conditions that can be screened for, and we'll put the link in the description. That's it for September. If your awareness month wasn't mentioned, please head to dazzleferrer.net slash awareness underscore days to get your awareness month on the calendar. You can also find instructions on how to subscribe and add the calendar to your calendar app to help make us helping you easier, if that makes any sense. The calendars are used not only by us here at Dazzle Ferrer and the Signalize podcast, but also others in our global community. It takes the villages, they say, to keep folks up to date. And if you don't want to miss out on having your date or event mentioned, share it and get it on the calendar. For Dazzle for Rare community news, we have news from a recent advocate new to the Dazzle for Rare family named Mackenzie Cabrera. In August of 2023, two-year-old Josiah and his battle with familial cold anti-inflammatory syndrome, or FCAS, FCAS, highlights the challenges of diagnosing rare conditions. This is from a NNY360.com article. Despite facing five misdiagnoses, genetic testing finally confirmed that little Josiah has FCAS with a subset of Renaud's disease. This extremely rare syndrome affecting less than one in one million involves full deletion of the NLRP3 gene. His mother Mackenzie navigated a challenging journey, advocating for a correct diagnosis and expanding newborn screening to include autoimmune and autoinflammatory diseases. 
Mackenzie's efforts with rare disease legislative advocates and Everyday Life Foundation showcase her dedication to rare disease awareness and research. Josiah's story emphasizes the need for continued support, research, and advocacy for rare disease. And we'll drop a link to the article in the show notes. Also, the great folks at NCBRS have recently announced their annual 5K event. This will be year three of the event, uh, celebrating Global NCBRS Awareness Day on the 9th of October, 2023. Tickets start at £6.13, pence, and the event takes place on the 25th of September to the 22nd of October, 2023. Join us for Global NCBRS Awareness Day on October the 9th. You can find more information on ncbrs.com. If you need to contact us, you can on contact us at ncbrs.com. We will link the Eventbrite page where you can grab tickets and info. In other NCBRS news, the folks at NCBRS announced the 23rd of August they'll be bringing together a scientific advisory group to help the foundation fulfill its mission of advocating for scientific research. Can you or someone you know help NCBRS Foundation find currently employed clinical or research professionals to participate? Do you know an NCBRS patient advocate who might want to take part in the advisory board? Or do you have other relevant experience that can be used by the board to help conduct scientific research into NCBRS? If so, don't wait to reach out to our friend of the podcast and 2023 Dazzle for our co-hosts at NCBRS right now. We'll drop their LinkedIn application for the SAB in the show notes. As many of you know, CAM Rare Disease Network hosts a yearly rare summit and that's coming up in October. Have you got your ticket? Rare Summit 2023 happens on Thursday, the 12th of October. Get your cozy jumper out and get ready to head to the Welcome Genome Campus in Cambridgeshire and check out a list of amazing speakers, including friend of the podcast, David Rose from Rare Revolution Magazine. If you're looking to go one further, you could be their next sponsor. Find your next rare collaborator at the event. Build your network through the CRDN network. Share your commitment to improving outcomes for those affected by rare conditions. Help keep ticket costs low and accessibility high for the folks attending. A link to the sponsorship packages will be in the show notes. By the way, this mention is not sponsored, but we do appreciate our friends at CRDN as previous Dazzle for our co-hosts and for their support over the years. I'm Carrie Wong, also known as the Butterfly from Float Like a Butterfly. I advocate in different ways with a few organizations, but these days most of what I do is under my own banner of Float Like a Butterfly. But Dazzle for Rare is about lifting each other's voices so that we can reach more people who need that connection. That's just what I'm trying to do with my upcoming book, Kaleidoscope Rare Disease Stories. It's a collection of true stories by, for, and about people living with rare diseases. I'd love to include your stories in there and those of others in your rare disease community. If you'd like to share your story or learn more about the project, visit bit.ly slash kaleidoscope rare or at kaleidoscope rare on social media and now for our rare and relevant little news bits and bobs from around the world but first we're going to start off with something local the uk medical research council mrc has invested millions of pounds in fact a 14 million pound investment over five years from the uk medical research council and the national institute for health and care research nihr has led to the creation of the uk rare disease research platform 
This platform seeks to enhance diagnosis and treatment of rare diseases by uniting the expertise of UK's rare disease research sector, comprising a central coordination hub and 11 specialized nodes at various universities. The initiative aims to drive innovative treatments for rare conditions. The current statistic for rare disease incidence rate in the UK is 1 in 17 people. 1 in 17 folks will experience a rare condition in their lives. As we always say, rare is not rare. The platform collaboration will accelerate advancements in rare disease research and facilitate better care for affected individuals. And of course, we will leave a link to the article in the show notes. Now, the next bit of local UK-related news uh, is in relation to PIP payments or personal independence payments changes. Uh, This is a topic that affects me personally and many folks that I know here. Even if you're not in the UK, it is fascinating to hear how other countries deal with assisting those with disabilities in terms of their financial needs. So I'm aware being from the United States that the US system is very, very different from the UK. In fact, it was very easy for me to get assistance here, which was really surprising. But that's a whole other side story. If that's something that you're interested in hearing, a little bit of compare and contrast, please uh, drop us an email. I'd love to talk more about it. But in any case, getting back to the news here, The UK Department for Work and Pensions is implementing new rules for personal independence payments starting in August. So we're just now exiting August and there's been a lot of PIP changes recently. And I suspect there will probably be some more in September. But PIP benefits are designed to assist individuals with long-term disabilities and ailments with extra living and mobility expenses. This will be subject to a revised process. This change will mainly affect claimants with high levels of functional impairment and no foreseeable improvement in their condition who are currently receiving personal independence payments or PIP without an end date. Uh, The adjustment involves conducting a quote-unquote light touch review after 10 years to verify eligibility and payment levels. The DWP aims to enhance the PIP renewal process, introducing a simplified form of assessing changes in a claimant's ability to perform daily tasks and move around. This alteration aligns with the government's focus on minimizing unnecessary assessments for individuals with long-term conditions. Of course, we will put a link in the show notes so that if you're interested, you can read more about it. And now for some not specifically rare news, but also incredibly fascinating information and news from around the world. Clinicians diagnosed youngest Alzheimer's patient yet. According to Social Care Institute for Excellence, the chances of developing dementia before the age of 65 are relatively small. So this is still kind of a rare disease story. Men aged 30 to 59 have a less than 1% chance at 0.16% chance, and women have a 0.09% chance of developing dementia before this age group. The chances increase slightly once a person reaches the age of 60. Men aged 60 and 64 have a higher chance, as do women. As time in medical science marches on, it seems that we may be seeing more people who have kind of fallen under the radar a little bit when it comes to diagnosis, and we're actually starting to see sort of more earlier diagnoses in neurological conditions. That's probably as time marches on, as science improves, as we start screening more people for these conditions at younger ages, we're starting to see that these people do exist. 
In fact, you've probably seen, as I have over the last year or two, a lot more articles online about early onset symptoms and signs for multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, uh, dementia, and other neurological conditions. For this story, neurologists in China have diagnosed a 19-year-old male with what they believe to be Alzheimer's disease. This makes him the youngest ever reported case. Despite Alzheimer's being typically associated with older individuals, this specific case baffles experts. The patient had no family history of Alzheimer's or dementia, had no typical genetic mutations associated with early onset Alzheimer's, and no other diseases, infections, or trauma that could explain the cognitive decline. The study challenges the conventional understanding of Alzheimer's onset and highlights the need for further research into early onset cases. We'll drop a link in the show notes. This next item is going to sound a little bit sci-fi, a little bit out of left field, but stick with me on this one. The EU CRISPR gene editing debate for crops. What does this mean for rare disease? There is a debate happening in the EU centered around a proposal to consider CRISPR editing for crops. The EU sees potential benefits for using CRISPR technology to enhance agriculture, but there are, of course, unanswered questions about the concerns surrounding long-term effects on both nature and our human health. The proposal suggests that some CRISPR-edited crops might not need strict regulations if they could have been produced through natural breeding methods. However, this approach is met with criticism because it could slow down progress and the development of perhaps better, healthier, or more resilient crops. So for folks who are not familiar with what CRISPR is, CRISPR is a gene editing technology that was discovered in the late 80s, and it involves making physical changes to a gene. In this case, we're talking about plant genes to enhance growth, resilience, etc., It's important to note that CRISPR technology isn't specific to agriculture. While CRISPR can alter plant genes to make them more resilient to diseases, similar edits have been made in living organisms. And this debate sort of echoes that in terms of using this technology for people. In a previous episode, we mentioned Victoria Gray, who is a sickle cell anemia patient who became one of the first people to undergo experimental CRISPR treatment. Her symptoms have abated after undergoing gene editing technology, and her case has raised hopes for folks in the future of treating rare diseases. So like the crop debate that the EU is currently having, using CRISPR in humans involves a lot more discussion, uh, ethical review, and certainly delicacy, because it is definitely, um, it's it's a delicate subject. Uh, advancing science while ensuring safety is the march of progress in science and in healthcare, whether it's doing so to ensure crop yields or treating genetic diseases. It's definitely the march of progress. In either case, there are challenges with ethical concerns, certainly with health equality and access to treatment. That is a big one. And again, something we'll probably talk about more in the future. As this technology progresses, lessons can be learned potentially from the crop debate that might help guide a path toward effective, safe, and accessible treatments for patients like Victoria. Again, this is something to keep our eyes on and keep in the back of our mind in as we go into the future. Uh, and we'll drop links in the description. 
And the last piece for this episode is again going to sound a bit science fictiony, a little bit different, um, but I think you'll find it interesting nonetheless. I did personally. So many of you may already know, you may have already heard that director James Cameron has expressed concerns about the potential dangers of artificial intelligence. If you saw his 1984 film, The Terminator, it is very heavy (laughs) with uh, a dark dystopian future created by an AI menace. So James Cameron has emphasized that weaponization of AI is a significant threat and has cautioned, you know, for more than 30 years now against the potential use of AI in an arms race. Cameron's apprehensions align with recent efforts by the White House and leading AI companies, including Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Meta, OpenAI, etc., to ensure that AI systems are safe and to ensure trustworthiness. These companies have committed to an external testing of new AI systems before public release and clearer disclaimers labeling and information of AI-generated content, as as many have probably seen stories over the last 6 to 12 months, um, there can be some really strange uh, inaccuracies that are produced by AI. So it's it's definitely interesting. Um, These steps are seen as a bridge to more of a comprehensive AI regulation as the technology advances incredibly rapidly, incredibly as an aside, there's a YouTube channel by a gentleman named Matt Wolf, uh, and he does a AI news recap each week, and it's bonkers cuckoo crazy just how quickly things are advancing every single week. So this is a really, really important topic. And also, because more and more companies um, in the healthcare industry and in biotech spaces are using AI learning, and we're seeing press releases touting this kind of learning, it's really important to be paying attention to this space just broadly. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden met with top executives from these companies and highlighted their commitments, you know, as being significant and really concrete to hopefully ensure development of, again, secure, trustworthy technology that will be a benefit to society and not necessarily the dystopian future that James Cameron has been warning us about uh, since the creation of the film Terminator. While the commitments lack enforcement mechanisms, probably anywhere in the world at this point, they represent crucial first step in maintaining some safety and ethics, some hopefully guardrails. The White House is simultaneously working on executive actions and collaborating with lawmakers to come up with some comprehensive legislation on regulating AI. The goal is to strike a balance between the potential benefit and the potential challenges. And again, we think of James Cameron's concerns about the responsible development and responsible use of AI technology. So there are some links that I will share in the show notes, but I think it's definitely something that all of us really need to keep an eye on in terms of what are the risks and benefits. I personally am very much interested in how the use of AI benefits our rare disease communities, not only in the potential for maybe expediting diagnoses, analyzing genomic data, and also just helping rare disease organizations maximize their time and their output in the outreach work 
and all the work that they do while having very small staff. So I think there are a lot of really positive applications for AI in the rare disease world. There are things I've definitely been talking to people about sort of in my daily routine and exercises, talking to people about their workflows. How are they using AI? Are they using AI? What are some ways we can be more informed? So definitely keep an eye on this, folks. It's really interesting news. There are some upcoming webinars and conferences, but today's episode's going a bit long, so I'm going to leave those to you. You can find those on the Dazzle for Rare community events calendar at dazzleforrare.net. And that's it for today, folks. Uh, as always, if you have something that you would like to share, community news, good news, your own personal story, or you might like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me at Kimberly at dazzleforrare.net. Until we speak again, have a great one. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Signalize, a Dazzle Ferrer podcast. To stay up to date on the podcast and Dazzle Ferrer, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, rare, R-A-R-E. And finally, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media platforms.